0: This is Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. "'Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, "'Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem.'" the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Let's pray together, friends. Jesus, we stand in awe of the God that you are. What a way to enter into this worship service, Lord, to have our eyes fixed on you and there find, yes, a humble king, but also the God who saves and the very reason why we can have confidence in tomorrow because you live. And so Jesus, would you continue to do the work that you're doing in our midst right now? We open up our hands and surrender to you. Come, Holy Spirit. When you're here, we have everything we need when you're not here, we have nothing. And so, Jesus, what we're declaring is our need and your ability to meet it. Jesus, you are Savior of sinners, friend of the broken, healer of our wounds, lover of our souls, and we adore you this day. Be glorified in our midst and speak, for your servants are listening. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, so, question for you this morning as we begin. How many of you are into country music? Those of you who simply raised your hands were lying. Those of you who went, woohoo, I know you're into country music, okay? Amen, amen. How about this guy? How many of you know who this guy is? Kenny Chesney, right? You like Kenny Chesney? Yeah? Hey, woohoo, woohoo! Thank you, all right. Kenny Chesney, he's good. He's got this one song, it's called There Goes My Life. How many of you have heard it? (laughs) Woo-woo! I feel like the numbers are getting smaller, but I'm tracking with you right here. (laughs) Tracking with you. Okay, There Goes My Life is probably my favorite Kenny Chesney song. I'm not a huge country music fan, but this one's worth listening to. And here's why. It's the same chorus over and over and over again, but the lines change as the story develops. It starts off with him in high school, and he makes some pretty big mistakes with his girlfriend. His girlfriend ends up getting pregnant. And he says, there goes my life. My dreams are ruined. Everything's thrown up in smoke. All my hopes are gone, right? There goes my life. It's a lament. It's a cry. It's a, it's a, it's a sense of frustration and disdain. You following? Okay. So the next verse comes, and then he's seeing this little kid. It says that mistake he, he thought he made covers up his refrigerator. In other words, all the little artwork from his little toddler daughter is now all over his refrigerator. And that refrain, there goes my life, has started to change. He thought it was a mistake, but all of a sudden he's realizing something very different. And fast forwards to a season in his life, ooh, I didn't think I was going to do that, when he sends his daughter off to college, which I just did. And it says that they load up her Honda, And he gives her her his credit card and she drives off to the West Coast and he cries, there goes my life, there goes my future. To see the progression that happens in this song, at first it's a declaration of what went wrong of his mistakes, of what he thought he was going to earn for himself, of what he did to the rest of his life. And then at the very same time, it's the intrusion of hope. It's the intrusion of the word the Bible uses called redemption, of God saying, I'm going to take what you think are your worst mistakes and I'm going to use them to bless you beyond measure. Friends, have you tasted that kind of redemption do you know that song there goes my life what verse are you singing right now because there's some of us in here who are on verse 1 you feel the frustration the anger the confusion and if that's you this morning I'm so glad you're here because what God wants you to hear first and foremost is You're not alone. This story has been told over and over. This song has been sung many times over. And it always ends well for those who are in Jesus Christ. Some of us are in the middle lines. And some of us are towards the end, because if that song kept going, it would say, There goes my life. I had to give her away. I walked her down the aisle, right? There goes my life. I saw her with another man. What's going on? The love of my life, my little girl. There goes my life. And then they would sing the song of grandchildren. (laughs) There goes my life. I heard someone say once, if I knew how much fun grandchildren would be, I'd skip right to them, (laughs) right? I don't think that's how it works, but you get the point. This morning we continue in this series that we're calling the mission of the Spirit through the book of Acts. And what we're going to find is it's a story of someone who had a plan that God interrupted because it was actually a nightmare that he wanted to turn into quite the dream. So if you've been with us, you know we've been studying through this book of Acts. It's all about the birth of the church. It's all about, listen, listen, if if you're brand new, you've never been to church before, this is all new to you, let me blow your mind for just a second. The God who made everything is a Trinitarian God. Three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is what God said, I made the world perfectly because I wanted to pour my love into you. That's it. Here's why I made you, because I wanted to love you. And I wanted you to learn to love me. And we said, no, that's okay. We rebelled. And this is what God said. Your actions will not determine your future. Mine will. I'm coming to get you, which is why the Son of God put on our skin. It's what we sang about all morning and came to get us. And he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He was going to pay the price for our redemption, which was nothing less than his entire life. It's why he hung on a tree, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave, and when he rose from the grave, he won the power and the rights to give the Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity, the power by which he lived his life, he won the right to give it to us. The book of Acts is all about this crazy reality that the God who made us to know him and know his love starts pouring it out into us in the person of the Holy Spirit, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. I will be with you even to the end of the age. This is the book of Acts. And friends, we are living the book of Acts. This is the book of Acts. It started 2,000 years ago, it ends when Jesus comes back. He's pouring out his spirit into us because he wants us not simply to be whole, but to be useful. So that we, after we've tasted the healing and the power and the love of our God, can turn around and give it away to everyone who needs it. Last week, we leaned into this idea that true transformation requires the right activator. Remember, we talked about slime last week, right? Like, and when you have glue and then borax, borax is the activator because it does something crazy. It sacrifices part of itself to unite itself to the glue. To make the glue not less glue, but more, better than glue. A whole new creation. That's sticky and gooey and slimy, right? But the reality is, it's such a beautiful picture of what God does for us in Jesus. Sacrifice is part of himself. To unite himself to us. So that we can become a whole new creation. Not less me, more me, better me, the whole me that I was always designed to be. If you're aching for that this morning, his name is Jesus. He's brought you here on purpose. Today our theme is simply this, bad dreams must be ruined so that better dreams can be realized. Listen, I know our kids are in here with us this morning, our older ones. Kids, how many of you by show of hands love to have nightmares? Yeah, I didn't think so. I don't like having nightmares either, but can I tell you I had one last week? a really bad one that I woke up in the middle of and went back to sleep and it was still there. I was under attack. I had a really bad nightmare. And when I woke up, I stood in the authority of Jesus' name and I told that darkness to leave. And then I reached out to those that I love and trust and I said, please pray for me. I'm under attack. And do you know what happened to that nightmare? It left. It left. It ran away. So, for those of you in here who maybe struggle with nightmares, can I encourage you to realize Jesus cares about your nightmares and He's here to interrupt them even today? Three points as we get started the enemy we see, the enemy we do not see, and God's better dream. First of all, the enemy we see, the end of the passage that we studied last week, Kristen did not read for, for us this morning, it, it talked about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch going down and finding a body of water to be baptized. So the Ethiopian eunuch could be baptized in, you remember that? Well, if you do the geography of it, most likely that body of water was in the Ayla Valley. Where, what's the Ayla Valley? Who remembers a small teenage boy fighting a really big giant? Who remembers what the boy's name is? Shout it out, David. Who remembers what the giant's name is? Goliath, right? Well, do you remember what he used to defeat Goliath? One smooth stone. He picked five, right? But he only needed one. This stone is actually from the Ayla Valley when we went there. This is what it would have looked like, because this is what it does look like. Five smooth stones. He only needed one. What's the story of David and Goliath? It's the story of God's people afraid of a giant they cannot overcome. So God sends a very unlikely champion to win in a very unlikely way. But he doesn't just win for himself because as soon as David defeats Goliath, who else wins? All of the people. It says they get up and they run after the Philistines and they drive them out of Israel. Do you see it? This unlikely champion That's going on, that's in front of them, that comes and saves them using just a stone. The enemy that they saw back in 1 Samuel, back a thousand years before Jesus, was a giant. Well, who is the the enemy that these Christians in the first century saw? His name was Saul, right? His name was Saul. Do you remember what he did when he first started to get his bad reputation? He picked up stones. He killed Stephen with some of his buddies because Stephen dared to interrupt his plan and his dream. Because, as everyone knew back then, God couldn't become a man. That's ridiculous. The maker of all things can't become a man. The creator of the universe, who does everything by the, the power of his will, whose thoughts are not our thoughts or beyond our thoughts, who literally created out of nothing, he certainly couldn't become a man. Are you noting the sarcasm? <laughs> but that's exactly what they believed. And Saul had spent his entire life pursuing an old way. He thought that his salvation was going to come through the law, through his obedience, through his study. And please don't miss this. The reason why Saul picked up stones and threw them at Stephen was because in a, the only other option would have been for Saul to say, I've wasted my life thus far. I've been wrong. I've pursued with every ounce of my being the answer that is no answer. Some of us in here right now know exactly what that feels like. If I admit this about Jesus, or if I admit this about the way Jesus has shaped the world in my marriage at work, in my relationship with my sibling that I haven't talked to for 15 years. If I admit this, then I'm going to have to admit that I've wasted the last season of my life. Can I encourage you, friends? God's not telling Saul here. You wasted your life. Jesus is breaking into Saul's life right here to give him the very life he thought he was pursuing. To say, I wasted it is shame language and that's not from him. To interrupt the message of shame with a message of grace even in the face of enemies that throw stones at us, that's the way of our king. Friends, Do you see the way that that Saul as being the enemy of, of Jesus would have been really intimidating to this first century church? He was locking up their family. He was killing some of them. He was imprisoning women and children. It was crazy what was going on. It cost a lot. And yet they kept pushing in. Saul was the one. Who saw Jesus as the enemy? Why? Because he saw Jesus as one of these. A stumbling block. The stone of stumbling, it's called called in in the Psalms. Jesus, the chief cornerstone, would become the stone of stumbling to those who were not ready to believe. Why? Because of all the things we just said. Everyone knows God can't. As soon as those words come out of your mouth, please just stop. Everyone knows God can't. No, everyone knows God can do whatever he wants. He'll never contradict his word. We know that. But God can do all things. What is impossible for us is possible for God. Amen? Amen. So when we're stuck there, please realize we're most likely hiding, just like Saul was, behind fear that if I admit this, then fill it out. Saul had a dream. He studied underneath Gamaliel, who was the best rabbi of the time. He was the cream of the crop in his class. He graduated magna summa cum laude, whatever the highest one is, right? Like, he was the dude. And if Jesus is right, none of that matters. Do you see what he was wrestling with? I hope so, because the question that we need to ask ourselves is, who's the enemy that we see? At whom are we throwing these things? Who's throwing them at us? Who's in the way of what we think? Our dreams. When even today, what God is saying is, Beloved, listen differently, even this morning. Because the dream, the only dream that God is going to interrupt in your life is the one that was going to end as a nightmare. He has a better dream for us, and he wants us to begin to see it. Our second point, the enemy we do not see. You see, the enemy we see is big and scary, but can I remind you that the enemy we do not see is bigger and scarier. Now, what is this a picture of? I'll get to this in just a second, why it looks like this, but this is the Philistine god Dagon. Dagon, that Dagon God, right? Dagon, right? Who's also made of this, stone. He's, he's the fish God. So he's got the bottom of him is a fish and the top of him is a man that's holding out his hands like this. And he was in charge of fertility and crops for the Philistines. They would worship him. And they thought they had a good thing going. In fact, when there were major victories over Israel, like for instance, when they imprisoned Samson, you know, where they where they made sacrifices of of offering praise because they had this victory? In the temple to Dagon, right? When they killed the king Saul, different Saul, Old Testament Saul, first king of Israel, you know where they hung his decapitated head? In the temple of Dagon. Dagon, made of stone, replacing the God who makes stone. What does the Bible tell us about every one of these idols in the Old and New Testament? In other words, way back then and today, every one of them is actually real. And there's a demon behind them. That's what, those are God's words. they not mine. Those are Paul's words to the church in Corinth. Every one of them has real power. It's the only reason why they worship them. So when they would actually make the sacrifices, their crops would grow. Do you see that? If they didn't have power, they wouldn't be worshiping them. It'd be foolish. Why would you worship a God made out of created stuff? Because they knew there was a power behind that. And that's the power that they were seeking. But God made it clear very early on in our interactions with Dagon, this stone God, that Yahweh God was the only God, not just one amongst many, the only God. Because what the Philistines tried to do when they won a battle against the Israelites is they took the Ark of the Covenant, which is what this is right here, the Ark of the Covenant, where God has said, I'm going to dwell in there, and I'm going to sit on the mercy seat, and you're going to come to me and interact with me, and I'm going to meet you there and bless you there. Well, they took the the Ark of the Covenant, and they put it in the Temple of Dagon. What a victory. Now we have both gods. We're going to be even more powerful. You know who does that all the time? Us. I'm a Christian, but I'm also going to do these things over here because this is what's going to make me powerful. I'm, going to, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to worship money because if I have more money, I have more power. I have more security. So I'm going to give part of my heart over here and part of my heart over here. And what God is saying from the beginning is, you shall have no other gods beside me. None. You know how he shows us in this story here? They put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple and they go to bed. The next morning they, sh- they wake up and Dagon is face down on the ground. This huge, tons of stone on the ground. They lift it back up. They're like, we need to help our God out here. Just let that sit in for a second, right? We need to help our God, get him back up on his feet because we know he's the real God and this Yahweh God, not so much. The next morning they find him not just on the ground, but with his head and his hands cut off. Cut, not crumbled, not it fell to the ground, It cut off what is God communicating there about his enemies and about who the only God actually is. It scared the Philistines so much they sent the ark back to Israel. Hello. There's only one God, and he's coming after us. Even today, friends. It's why stories like Jonah, Jonah and the the, the big fish that swallows Jonah that happens after this chronologically, do you know who they worshiped in Nineveh? Dagon. So when Yahweh God sends one of his prophets in the belly of a fish, What is he communicating to a people who worship a God who looks like a fish? Who's the real God? Ours is. Hallelujah. The point here, friends, is simply this there's an enemy who's hunting us that we do not see, who's always been around. And in the Old Testament, in, in ancient days, they were at least honest about it. We lie to ourselves all the time. In fact, there's some of you sitting here right now who are like, This is really weird. I don't believe in any of that stuff. You know who's really weird? You. No offense. But when you look at all of history up to this point, the one who's weird, the one who doesn't fit in, the one who doesn't believe everything that everyone has always believed for all history is us. Now, Think about it, if there's an enemy out there who's invisible to our eyes but who works in a way that affects our lives and our world, if he could get us to believe that he doesn't exist, what has he already done? One. If we don't battle him, then there's no battle, he just wins. Have you ever had an experience in your life or perhaps a relationship in your life or a situation in your life where you just feel stuck? Or perhaps you're worshiping and all of a sudden you get these really negative thoughts or you make a mistake and you have really deep darkness come on you. Maybe you should just end it all. I reject that in Jesus' name. I will not speak that over you here the one who speaks those things, the same one that uses stone to create an image and then beckons us to bow down and worship it. Over Jesus' dead body, friends, no way in heaven, no way in hell, not here, not ever. Don't listen, open your eyes, We see in our passage for this morning, Saul is not just a guy who's zealous for the truth. Listen, do the math. How many times when you're zealous for the truth do you decide, you know what? I'm gonna kill the people who don't believe what I believe. Does that make sense to you? I'm just gonna go out and I'm gonna kill the people who don't believe what I believe. That's nuts. No, here's a better word. That's demonic. It's demonic. The spirit of rage, the spirit of murder, the spirit of shame running deep inside of Saul who will become Paul, who then has to wrestle with those things and you see it play out throughout the rest of his life. So here's a takeaway, friends. If you've ever, if you've said yes to any of the things we just talked about, struggling with that, feeling that, having that, please know there is hope because the enemy you don't see he sees. Even the darkness is as light to him. And he has come to set us free. And we are here to help you. And so if that's true, please let us know. We want to help you get free. There's another enemy, though, that we don't see. It's not just the one that's on the inside. It's another dark enemy, big, who lives on the inside. Not just the outside, He lives on the inside And that enemy is pride. And do you know what the Bible tells us about our hearts when they're full of pride? They are hearts of stone. Over and over and over again. Hearts of stone. God needs to turn into hearts of flesh. Because as we see in the ancient context with Saul and the people of Israel, do you know the only reason why they even had Saul as a king? It's because they rejected God. God said, I want to make you like no other nation. Every other nation has these kings. They always go corrupt. They go the bad way, but I'm going to be your king. Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth, is going to be your king. And here's what they say. Now we're good. We'd like to have a king like all the other nations. We'd like to be like them so that the king, hear this, can make us great as opposed to us living lives where we make you great. Anyone else struggle with that in here? God, I want you to make me great. God, I want you to listen to my prayers. God, I want you to do it my way. Not, God, whatever you got, I'm in. We all struggle with that. And it's been the same from the beginning. Because the very reason why the the world fell into sin to begin with was because our first parents, Adam and Eve, they said, no, we're good. We want to do it our own way. And then Paul reiterates that in Romans chapter 1 when he says, here is the reality. All of sin is pride. All of sin is us turning the world upside down where we take the creator and put him in the place of the creature. And we take the creature and put him in the place of the creator. That's what pride is, friends. It's us turning the world upside down. And God wants us to know that that is going to eat us alive. It is the only thing. We've said this in here before. It is the only thing that will keep us from heaven and forever with Jesus Pride. You're like, well, wait a second. What about murder and adultery and the rest of the stuff in the Ten Commandments? Yes, you can do all of those things. I'm not recommending that you do. You can do all of those things and then ask for forgiveness in Jesus' name because you humble yourself and you will be forgiven. But if you never humble yourself because you're proud, God will oppose you. He will not give you grace because that's been the issue from the beginning. (laughs) When it comes to Saul in our passage, I want you to see the hope here. Jesus gets in his way. Saul has all the authority he needs. He has all the people he needs. He has all the weapons he needs. He has all the fear that he needs. And Jesus gets in the way and in a moment communicates to Saul and to all of us who's actually in charge. It says Jesus just gets in his way and it's a bright light and Saul falls to the ground. Don't miss that. That's the authority and glory of Jesus on display. And then he says this. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Do you hear the covalent bond there? Do you hear how Jesus is the activator who's united himself to his people? He's not saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting them? That's actually more accurate from our perspective, isn't it? He's persecuting them. Jesus is in heaven. He's persecuting those people over there. Jesus says, no, no, no. I've so united myself to you that I feel what you feel, that I experience what you experience. Please don't miss this, friends. This wasn't just for them. This is for us. A God who says, I get you more than you think I get you, because I've united myself to you and vice versa, so that the things that are true of Jesus are now true of us, and the things that are true of us are true of Jesus. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we become Jesus and Jesus becomes us. I'm saying he's united himself to us so that there's a shared experience and reality that actually gives us such hope. Because in the darkest moments, friends, when you are overwhelmed, and tempted to believe this lie, no one gets me. Jesus is the one who says, to your enemy, why are you persecuting me? The only God, the only one, who willingly enters into our suffering and shame to set us free. Where, friends, are you and I struggling with pride or better yet, not struggling enough? Where have we picked up the stones and thrown them in Jesus' direction? Because we think he doesn't get us. He's in the way of our dreams. It hurts when I follow Jesus because look at the persecution I experience all the while forgetting that never once have we been alone. Where is our enemy attacking us, friends? The Bible tells us very clearly that on both fronts, the attacks will be regular, consistent, unrelenting, and winnable. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Ah, resist him and he will flee from you. Hallelujah. Not because you're strong, you're not. Never try to resist a demon on your own strength. You will lose. But in the name of Jesus Christ, you stand in his authority And they bow, they bow, they bow to him. Those daggone demons, they lose every time. Jeremiah 17 says this, the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? In other words, pride is really good at hiding. Can I encourage you this, this reality? There are stony places in your heart that need to get fixed and you are not a good gauge as to where they are in your life. You're deceived and blind to the places that your heart is hard. Can I tell you who might have a better perspective than you? Look right next to you, to the person you came in with or think about the closest people in your life. Consider the things that they've said are really hard about loving you. Do you take criticism easily? I love criticism. I take it really, that's, notice the sarcasm, right? That's an area in my own life where God is leaning in And saying, this needs to be let go of. This needs to be changed. If we're going to set you completely free, if we're going to go to the next level, you need to start hearing this differently. And I'm like, how am I supposed to do that? He goes, this is how. Take what you're holding on to and let it go. We think we have to hold on to the idols and the power and the identity that is, going to, is the only thing keeping us together when, friends, it's the only thing keeping us from him when what he wants is for us to surrender those things, to take one step at a time. I realize it's really scary. One step at a time and watch what he will do because, friends, he's got a better dream for us. It's the story he's been telling from the beginning, from the beginning. In David and Goliath, the foreshadowing is simply this, that we need a champion and that God is going to send us that champion. And his name is Jesus, amen? And that champion is going to do something because he's a better king, like David was a better king than Saul because David was a man after God's own heart. Who is the man not just after God's own heart, but with God's own heart? Jesus. And he's not coming simply to, def- to defeat a giant that we see, but the giant that we don't see. And don't miss this. Can I have my rock, please? <laughs> we need this again. Why? Because since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who though, through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Do you hear it? there was another stone involved. For when Jesus died, the enemy rolled a stone in front of his tomb and they believed that they had won. Ours is the God who can even roll the stone of death out from the front of his own grave and make a way for life for every last one of us. Consider that reality for those that you've already lost. You're going to see them again. Consider that reality for those you're afraid of losing. That's not the end of their story. Consider that reality for yourself in the places where you're afraid to let go because you think it's going to kill me. Friends, it is going to kill the old you so that the new and better you can actually live. Spiritual death and resurrection happened in our passage. I hope you heard it and saw it. When when Saul's confronted with Jesus, he goes blind. He sees nothing. He's in darkness for how many days? Well, that's random. No, it's a picture of his death. And God sends his Holy Spirit through Ananias, who, by the way, is afraid. I love that little story, but we're not going to go there. Sends him through Ananias to to impart the Holy Spirit upon Saul and his eyes are open and he gets up and what's the first thing that he does? He gets baptized and then he, who got baptized before his earthly ministry and then after his death shows everyone that he's actually alive by eating? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Just in case you were missing the point, Every story in this book is about him. Every story whispers his name, Jesus. And when we begin to unpack it and see him there, we find for ourselves a God of the impossible who can roll back stones, who can set us free from the dream we thought was the only thing keeping us steady, and alive and in power and in control to actually invite us into a much, much, much better dream. For you see, before, Saul was the one who literally went around imprisoning and killing people. From this point forward, he'll be the one opening prison doors and raising the dead. Talk about redemption. Redemption. He'll be the most prolific church planter in the history of the world. Spreading the good news of this Jesus that he was so intent on destroying. Talk about redemption. There goes my life. Yeah. There he goes. My life. And I will follow him anywhere. Beloved, we all are desperate for Jesus to interrupt our nightmares. That's the reason why I asked the question at the beginning. How many of us like to have nightmares? I didn't see any hands, right? None of us like to have nightmares at all. But what if your life is a nightmare and you don't know it? Wouldn't you want someone to interrupt that for you? To get in the way? To say there's a better way. Can I tell you, I keep hearing stories through missionaries and missions organizations of this man in white who interrupts the dreams of Muslims in the 1040 window and tells them that tomorrow you're going to meet someone who's going to give you a book, take it and read it. And the next day they meet a missionary who gives them a Bible. They take it and read it and give their lives to the man in white whose name is Jesus. Interrupting What they thought was their plan and dream that was only going to end one way and bringing instead life everlasting. What about the thief on the cross? Have you considered his story? He threw his entire life away. Robbing, stealing, so much so that they're killing him, which means he was a pretty bad dude. He kept not learning the lesson that God was trying to teach him throughout his entire life. And you'd think, what a waste, and yet we all know his story. Because even at the very end, Jesus declares, when you put your faith in me today, you will be with me in paradise. Rolling the stone away. For those of you who are long timers here at All Souls, you know our friend Marcy. Marcy is a young woman who came here um, from Chicago when we first started our church. She came with her fiance, who she was living with who was not a Christian, and I think Marcy had just become a Christian when she got here. And we had some pretty difficult conversations because, you see, Marcy's dream for her life was to marry this man and spend the rest of their lives together. And I had to be the one to tell her that that was not God's will for her life. There are certain things you like to do in ministry and other things you don't. But can I tell you, I've had that conversation many times and for those who chose to get angry at me the messenger and to leave and do their own thing unfortunately this hasn't changed and almost every one of their marriages is no longer in existence I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. I'm saying that to say God's world works his way. And when he gets in the way of our dreams and hopes, it's to interrupt a nightmare, not to cause one. Marcy was one of the ones, probably the very first one, who followed what Jesus was saying to her. With much crying, many tears, much wrestling, broke up with her fiancé. And she thought, there goes my life. There goes my future. Can I tell you that almost a year later to the day, I had the privilege of officiating the wedding of Marcy to the man that God had provided for her and knew all along he was going to be providing for her, named Andy, who loves Jesus and loves Marcy and has spent the last decade of his life investing in his bride in a way that has made Marcy more whole, more alive, and a mother. There goes my life. There goes my future. God interrupts the dreams we think we need to hold on to so that he can set us free to a much better plan. Where, friends, is he interrupting your bad dream? Where is Jesus, the one who's come close to try to kill your pride? Not you. Hear that. He's not interested in just destroying you. He wants to kill your pride, replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Where is he wanting to set you free from those daggone demons? The devil and his schemes, even today, so that you too can be singing a much different song, friends. I hear from some of you, you already are. I see in some of you, you're still resisting. Can I encourage each of us today to just take a few moments right now? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. and I want you to ask the Lord this question. Jesus, what's the bad dream you're interrupting? Where's the pride that you're trying to get rid of? What's the enemy that you're wanting to free me from? Because friends, The temptation in all of our lives is to think that God is speaking even this morning to someone else. This person really should hear this sermon. You're probably right, but you know what they're thinking right now? I sure am glad they're in there. Meaning you. Right? We are not good uh, gauges for our own hearts where that's stone but there is one who sees who sees everything so let's welcome him in even now Jesus thank you that we don't have to be the ones that figure this out that make it all better that Lord where we are afraid even now we can let go and surrender to you Lord the heart that is already yours Thank you that you already see the stony parts so that your invitation for us to come is not an invitation that's going to surprise you, but that's going to set us free. You are the way, the truth, and the life. There goes my life. It's you, Jesus. It's always been you. take a moment even just now and listen quietly to the Lord come Holy Spirit speak to each of us even now your promise from James and 1 Peter that you oppose the proud but you give grace to the humble that we should humble ourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that at just the right time you can lift us up thank you for the freedom to humble ourselves Lord and to find a safe place in you Keep speaking, Lord. We know there's more. Make our hearts ready to listen. In Jesus' name.